Welcome to the Female Athlete Mentor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to encouraging continued conversation to help female athletes in their sport journeys. We will tackle tough topics head on, like mental health, injury comeback, leadership, friendship, and much more. Thank you for joining us. We are here today with Kelly Smith-Puzo. Uh, Kelly is a two-time Olympian in the sport of field hockey. She played at the University of Maryland, where she was a three-time All-American and won a national championship in 1999. Uh, she is married to her husband, Inyaka Puzo, who is the head women's field hockey coach at Miami of Ohio, and she has two little boys. And she's pretty amazing. So we are really excited to talk to her today. Um, we're going to talk to her about a number of things, but one of the things that we really want to talk about is how Kelly has been able to um, keep her passion for the game, um, even while managing, you know, working in the real world, also, um, you know, training as an Olympian, going to the Olympics, having her kids during those times, and then uh, transitioning into a full-time club owner and also start, starting some really uh, grassroots um, programming that she's super excited about. So, Kelly, welcome. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Um, so, Kelly and I have known each other, how long have we known each other? Like five years now? Yeah, I think it's been about four or five years since we started working together at USA Field Hockey yeah, we were a couple years ago. Yep, fortunate enough to work together, and it was too short, as we always say, but um, really have been able to form friendship, and I think that's just uh, pretty much how Kelly rolls anyway. So you, you do a really good job of not only, you know, being invested in the game, but also invested in the people, and I think that's one of the things that we can talk about you know, as we kind of go through, through today. But um, if you could, real quick, can you just take us through your journey from kind of youth field hockey all the way through the Olympic experience? So, uh, but you know, where did you where did you play? You know, at the youth level, and then high school, and then just kind of the transition all the way up into where you are now. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm going to date myself when I start telling my story because I grew up in a super small town um, in central Pennsylvania where. We actually didn't have, like, a formalized club team back then. Um, our high school coach kind of created a mini club team so that we had opportunities to travel a little bit. So they named that team PA Power. So I did grow up playing um, with my high school team and then just doing a couple odd uh, tournaments once or twice a year with that same team um, through the club. And then I got recruited through a program called Futures, which still exists, um, International Pipeline. And I went to the University of Maryland. And after um, my four years there, we were pretty successful. And I got recruited uh, by the national coach to come down to their central training program to try out for the national team. I had been on like an under-19 and under-21 team all through college. Um, so that also helped. Uh, after graduation, I moved to Virginia Beach where the national team happened to be training at the time and I went into full-time residency that was around 2001 2002 so we were kind of really shooting for the Olympics in 2004 okay. we went to Australia um, to play in the World Cup in 2002 um, and then we're really training pretty much full-time from that point forward to try to make it to the Athens games in 2004 Unfortunately, we lost to Korea, which was extremely heartbreaking in 04 
by one goal. So that kicked us out of the Olympics and pretty much sent a lot of players retiring from that squad. I actually decided in 2004 that I too was going to take a break. So I moved to DC, got into sales randomly, um, and just basically took a break. How old were you at that when you? I was, um, I was probably about 24, 25 okay. when I took that break. I kept my foot in the door like super randomly. They got a new coach. I went down to Virginia Beach maybe once a summer, once or twice that summer, that next summer. Anyways, I kept my foot in the door enough that they knew that I potentially wanted to come back at some point. So the squad in 2006 uh, qualified for the World Cup and was training. And the coach at the time told me, you know, we'd love to have you back and try out for this World Cup team. But if you don't come in the next month, the door's going to close. Like, you have to come. Okay. So I told my employer, who also had a, an office in Virginia Beach, luckily, and they told me they'd transfer me. Anyways, I transferred. I moved, back, I moved back to the national team. Went back with the national team. Ended up, after the World Cup, quitting my job because I realized it was impossible to really train full time and give the, uh, the company what they needed. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did qualify in 2008 uh, for the Beijing Olympics. Okay. So I was on the squad full time pretty much from 2006 until 2010 when I got pregnant with my first, my first child. Um, so we played in the Olympics. Then I actually moved abroad and I played for one year in Spain where my husband was. And then we moved back to the States and I was pregnant. And then from 2010 to 2012, I had two kids <laughs> in a very short amount of time. Um, so yeah, so then I had two kids and somehow I ended up going back to the team in 2000 and end of 2011, right after my second child was born to try to make it back from the squad for the 2012 Olympics, yeah, can which you, was grueling. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I remember we talked about that experience. And so you were in, were you in California? You were in California, right? Chula Vista. Yeah. They had moved from Virginia beach to California at the end of 2008. And so their full-time residency program was in Chula Vista, just South of San Diego. So let's let's go through a typical day <laughs> when you're out there because both boys were with you, right? Yeah, um, it was pretty crazy. In fact, my my second child was born the end of August, and I went back out in December to see if I wanted to to join the team full time. And I was a mess. Like I, the kids didn't go with me in December. I came home and I was like, I'm quitting. There's no way I can make it back on that squad. Um, I had all these excuses. I think at the end of it, at the end, I was just like super nervous that I wasn't, I wouldn't make it, you know, it would yeah. probably be the first time in my life that I would have failed in a kind of in a field hockey arena where I really couldn't make a squad. Um, and then I ended up going back to University of Maryland where they asked me to speak at their end of the year banquet. And one of the seniors that was graduating said that she was just happened to be moving to San Diego to kind of take a break before she got a real job mm -hmm. and I said to her do you like kids and she's like well I guess like literally that's how it happened and I was like would you be interested in like being my nanny and like helping me with the kids starting in January and she's like yeah maybe so I went I went back to my husband and said okay maybe this is like too good to be true but this just happened I think I found a nanny and it was like so ironic at the time that I was like okay maybe I maybe this is a you know this is a message to me that I like need to go back to the team. So I did move back there. I moved the kids in January of 
2012. Um, I would wake up like I rented this like one bedroom apartment. The kids were like we were sleeping in like one bed pretty much and a pack and play. And at the time, my youngest was four months old. The old, the oldest was a year, year and a half. Um, and I would wake up every morning. Melissa would show up at the house. That was my nanny. She would show up at like 7.30. I would drive 45 minutes to the training center where we'd start practice at 9. We'd train. We'd have lunch at the training center. We'd usually lift. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have a later afternoon practice. I usually got back to the apartment at 4. The kids and I would, my apartment was so small that there was like nothing to do and the kids were really loud. So we'd usually go to the park, I'd feed them dinner and we were in bed by seven just because there was, I mean, it was, I was exhausted and there was nothing else to do. Yeah. And where yeah, was- I put them to bed every night, like 730. <laughs> <laughs> so where was Inyako coaching at the time? Inyako had just gotten a head job like eight months before um in Ohio back at Miami University so he couldn't leave so he he and myself and my help from my parents we kind of tag team so I would keep the kids in San Diego with me and then depending on where we would travel abroad they would either go with me or my mom or or my husband would come and get them so we just kind of had a schedule there were times where my mom and dad would help and times when Inyaka would help and then there was a couple trips that I was able to take them on as well so, and then, um, did you, when you went into the 2012, like that training time period, did you know you were going to retire right after that? I knew I was going to retire after for sure. What I didn't know if I was actually going to make a team, like I really, I really tried to quit to be honest, because yeah. the first, um, the first like real difficult training run, we had to run 10, 1000. And I seriously thought I was, it was the first time ever I thought I was going to die <laughs> in a training environment. And the coach, so much so that the coach ended up running with me and, and he just kept saying to me, just don't quit. If you quit, it's over. Right. Like you won't come back. Just don't quit. And so he's like, I don't care about the time. Just literally keep moving. Yep. And I, I always tell him that if it wasn't for him, I really, really think that might have been my last day on the squad. Um, after that, I sat in an ice bath for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized in the moment that I didn't think anything would hurt as bad as that did. And it probably never did. Like I, I got through that and that was such an empowering moment for me that I, it gave me a lot of, a ton of confidence. So, so you make the team, you then go to 2012, uh, which was Beijing, right? Or London, London. Yeah. London, London. Right? London. Yeah. So who, who all went, which like was the whole family there, Inyako, boys, everyone was there? Yep. My mom and dad um, and the boys and my brother and Inyako all went. They rented a house in London. Um, from the moment we left for London until they arrived, I probably was away from the boys for about a month, which was one of the longest like durations that I had been away from them. Um, so, yeah, everybody went. And when I came home, like literally after that last game in London, I knew that I – I had like done everything I wanted to do and I could have left my stick on the field that day. It just was like time, you know, yeah. I was excited to go home. I was excited to settle in and just be a mom. Yeah. Um, it was actually a really empowering moment because I don't think a lot of athletes get to finish on their own terms, you know? And for me, I just felt really lucky that I was able to do it and do it with the boys. And yeah. I just also knew it was time to give it up. 
Right. So, so let me ask you this. So you're, um, cause you guys didn't have what you like the finish that you wanted in London, but for you, it was even a challenge at that time, just based on life circumstances with two little boys making the team, you go to London, obviously the team didn't finish. They wanted to finish, but for you, you were empowered by like, you went out on your own terms. Like you just wanted to get there you got there. You guys didn't finish the way you wanted to, but talk a little bit about that. Um, I think that the, you know, up until the last three games, we actually were playing great hockey. We had beat Argentina and we were like in every match really had a great opportunity to even medal up until the last three games. And I think in the moment that we realized that that opportunity had passed, we really just didn't finish strong at all, um, which was incredibly disappointing. But I look back and wonder, like, what what I personally could have done different. I do think that I left it all on the field. I don't know how much more um, – I have, of course, like, I think everybody has some regrets in little moments, but I think for me, coming back to the team so late, I don't know how much more I could have done to change the reality, you know? I, I really felt like I, le- I personally left it all on the field, and it was just unfortunate that we, we couldn't finish stronger, but um, I didn't have any regrets walking out. Good. And so you, you go on, you're like, okay, I know I'm done, I'm going back. And, you know, from there, um, what was the next steps? Now you're done. You've, you know, because you had left the, you know, because you were in, in sales, right, for ADP? Am I making that up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was in sales, outside sales. Um, I think the tough thing with it, we live in a pretty small town. You know, we're an hour from Cincinnati, but there's not a huge market uh, for sales and other things that I thought I might be interested in in such a small remote town. Mm -hmm. So just naturally I started doing clinics around the state of Ohio and um, more and more opportunities kind of popped up. And from there, I just started traveling with the girls that I was coaching and organically a club grew from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think I moved to Ohio thinking I'm going to start a field hockey club. I think it just really happened supernatural and, um, now we have three locations that we train out of. We're out of Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Uh, we have a, there's three of us that are pretty full-time with the club currently, and then we have a handful of other coaches that obviously um, are part-time. And I just now I just love – I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily like the phrase, like, giving back. Yep. Um, I do think there's a component of giving back to the sport for sure, but I just love the impact that I think that – I can have on young athletes. And I think the pressure in sports right now is so high and in many ways so unfortunate that I hope that within our club we can create an environment that doesn't put such pressure on on young women um, and just really allows them to enjoy the sport for whatever it is that they, you know, they get out of it. Right. So, yeah, talk a little bit about your club, Field Hockey Life. You started it, um, obviously, when you, you know, moved – well. Move, full, move back full-time to Miami. Um, you obviously said, it, you know, it's not something that you thought you would end up doing, but it kind of just organically happened, and now you've got, you know, three cities that you're in. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, how, and I don't want to say, you know, that you're 
necessarily different than a lot of clubs, but one of the, like, what are some of the things that you kind of instill not only in your coaches, but in your players um, as they move through the process? Because as you know, like a lot of field hockey is um, driven around the event platform and going and getting seen and being able to play in college. So, you know, what do you, what are some of the things that you guys do a little bit differently to just make it a better experience holistically and something that they can enjoy for life? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we do that is for maybe not different, but we try to offer something for everybody. So, you know, we have academies in every, every location and the academy is just an opportunity to train. Um, you don't necessarily have to travel out of the academy. We're just there to provide good instruction and hopefully give you an opportunity to meet new friends outside your high school team. Um, through the academy, you can do all kinds of things. You can travel, you can try out for elite teams. Um, there's camp opportunity to try to bring in just because we're really fortunate to have so many connections. We try to bring in like really cool clinicians, whether it's college coaches or international players, um, U.S. national team players. We try to, to provide people the opportunity to meet unique individuals in the sport um, through, through clinics and other opportunities. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing that we fight um, that not everybody does, it's just the, the pressure of burnout and the pressure to to really impress people on the outside. I mean, I really see that the this sport, it's not really unique. I think it's across all youth sports, is pressure that comes from the outside, whether it's parents or coaches or just the pressure to impress other people is one of the biggest things that creates burnout. And, you know, we try to create an environment that – allows the athlete to a take breaks when they need it. Mm -hmm. Um, we really encourage that, whether it's to play other sports in your high school and what we work around that, or whether it's just to try to really understand the athlete and say, you know what, what does your schedule look like? We want you to be able to do other things, but we recognize that maybe you have an aspiration to play in college and you need to do a little bit of training in the off season. So how can we work with you individually to make sure you get what you want from the sport, but also to fight the burnout and fight the, the constant external pressure. I think I was really, really fortunate in my playing career to be able to take breaks yep. when I needed to, and that allowed me to continue loving the sport. And every time I took a break, whether it was to work, have a kid, play internationally, it allowed me to come back to the team a better person and fresher and to provide something that I knew I probably couldn't provide if I stayed in that environment full time. So I even think inside our club is no different. You know, if I force these kids to play constant year round with a lot of pressure on them, I, I just really don't think that they will ever reach their goals because they're going to burn out before they get there. Right. And that's just something that, that I, I bring to the club because I was fortunate to have it in my own life. Yeah, no, and you're 100% right. I mean, I think that allows some, because when did you retire? You were probably like 33. I was 33. Okay. So yeah. and, and I think, you know, that's, you know, because now you get into where people are playing or kids are playing. You might offer programming all year round, but, you know, you're saying they don't necessarily need to do that. And I think um, you hit the nail on the head is that that's how people can stay passionate about a game for so long when they take ample breaks and, you know, come back and cause you're just doing it. It's like anything you do, you know, when you grind through it, you know, eventually you're just going to be like, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, 
so and then off of that you know obviously you yeah. still have the challenges well one you, you know you're kind of the face of the club and yes you have some great coaches working with you but you know you can suffer burnout right now you've got you know two little boys they they've got their own schedule of things you're running the club the club goes you know various tournaments and your husband's in college athletics. So talk a little bit about how, how you manage that all as a mother, as an, an over owner of a business, as a wife to somebody who is in, you know, the college sports arena. Yeah. I think that one of the things that has worked out so well with, you know, my career and when with the, the club is that my busy time year is the winter and spring and, and partially in the summer. And my husband's busy time where he's traveling a lot is in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so not to say that he doesn't travel, you know, other times throughout the year, but we kind of are in different seasons. So it allows us to, you know, organize our time with the kids a little bit, you know, better. I mean, I think at the end of the day, as a woman, one of the things that's so interesting is that, you know, naturally my husband's amazing he's involved in everything Mm -hmm. but naturally you do kind of take on roles with doctors and schools and you know making appointments for the kids and kind of orchestrating the kids calendar more than any other person in the family if you will you know and so um, I think you know we have an online calendar we have a calendar in the kitchen and I do manage that right and my husband puts in what he needs to do and I put in what I need to do and we just work together to make sure that the kids get what they need um, as well. So, but it's hard. I mean, you to say it's not hard would be lying. And, but I think that we love it. We love having the boys around sports. The boys love to be around it. And I think it's a really cool environment for them to grow up in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looks like, I mean, I mean, I just, I know this cause I've, talk to you, but like, you're like the boys have got to travel a great deal. Not only just like, cause you know, Inaka's family is from you know, overseas and then you guys take the, then when you take travel with the club, you know, overseas or they're in Florida, they're at, you know, um, you know Disney, whatever it may be. So it is a kind of a family affair. And it obviously, you know, it, it's gotta be, it has to be nice at some point to be like, we are going home <laughs> and we miss our dog. <laughs> but, um, So you're saying like, so it's obviously manageable, but it takes a lot of work. Are there any points when you're like, man, I just don't know how much longer I can kind of do all these moving parts. Um, Or do you kind of just see it as like, well, that's as you build a business, you kind of, or the club, you just, you know, have more people helping you. Um, I think it's more the latter. I think I'm super fortunate to have amazing people that understand what, you know, understand the club believe in the club and also are such a big part of my life so they understand when I need help and I'm able to ask them for help when I need it Um, I think one of the interesting kind of challenges that I have as a parent is that my oldest son has some like learning disabilities and coordination disabilities and it does require me to be pretty involved in his life Um, more so it sounds crazy I mean obviously as a parent we're all involved in our kids lives but um, I would say that looking at both kids I'm obviously more hands-on there's more appointments there's more conferences with teachers there's more involvement sometimes um, in the school with him Mm -hmm. because I need to keep the closer eye to make sure he gets what he needs right Um, but I think it also like has made me a much much better coach 
um, understanding his needs has helped me understand other kids and has just almost grown my passion for coaching because I think that unfortunately, this is a whole nother topic and I don't know if we want to go there, but you know, I do think that unfortunately there's some sectors of sport in our society right now that are so segregating to kids at such a young age. And it's so unfortunate to watch because I think sports can provide kids with such amazing life skills and I look at my son who has a really hard time in sport in general and it's it can be really heartbreaking and I think that's one of the unique things about field hockey is because it's not such a massive sport in our in our culture it is probably more unknown and it equalizes kids ability a little bit more because it's newer mm-hmm. um, than maybe some more traditional sports so I for that reason I love the sport with our youth um more so now as a parent right and as I then I did probably even 10 years ago yeah so let's talk a little bit about that because you're you you're in the process of starting or you have started happy hockey um and I think you know where did that originate from because obviously I mean we we work together on you know development of the sport how do we start at the grassroots level so talk a little bit about that and how you see that playing out um not only for girls, but for young boys and what your thoughts and, and hopes for that program is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about my son and how that kind of um, helped me grow this nonprofit that we're calling the Happy Hockey Organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to coach my son's soccer team um, a couple years back, and I took the opportunity just because I wanted to better understand what some of, like, the more community-based leagues and organizations were doing in a different sport and I, I think even at a very young age they tend to kind of isolate the talent from the not talent and that was a little bit heart, heartbreaking to me for my son um, and so what I what I realized from the hockey perspective was a couple things I wanted to create a youth program that was super inclusive to everyone um, I also realized that in our sport we have somewhat limited coach education, so the sport itself isn't as popular, and we need to, we need to create an environment where parents um, who maybe aren't as familiar with the sport are empowered to coach and have a, an easy time and a support system to roll out a program. So the happy, what the Happy Hockey organization does is um, it's a leadership-based program for youth that has a curriculum that is based around different leadership um, pillars, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally think that the curriculum is incredibly easy to follow. We also have um, support systems in place that will roll out the curriculum and coach education that will roll out the curriculum every season uh, to whoever decides to host it. We also provide the equipment for the program um, to anybody who is, has decided to run the host or be a host. So what the Happy Hockey Organization has tried to do is to kind of create create an environment that is not that is competitive, but it's as competitive as the young player wants to make it. Right. Um if that makes sense. Yeah. Can, so so you basically have come full circle because you your your journey through the game, you know, obviously you start at the youth level and now you've gone all the way to where, you know, 
you've played at the, the highest level you can possibly play, and then you now are recreating that experience, and hopefully you can expand it, um, make it an inclusive sport, because obviously we don't have a ton of, as we know, boys field hockey, but you know, if we want to start that, it has to start at the grassroots level. So, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what would be um, the one thing, you know, as, as a club owner and someone who works pretty closely um, on a daily basis with these young female athletes and you've see, you see their challenges and, you know, you talked a lot about burnout, but what would be the one thing that you would pass down to um, a young female athlete to, one, make their experience, whatever their pathway would be, um, just better overall? Um, I think that, I think I would, I would love to see our female athletes really fight, fight the societal pressure to impress on the, on the outside. So I just, I really feel wholeheartedly that this burnout is coming from the pressure to impress people on the outside, whether again, like I see it in my kids in my club all the time, you know, they go to these tournaments and they can't just enjoy the tournament and compete. There's right. a constant cloud over their head to impress people watching. Right. And I really think that whether it's parent, you know, I obviously I see it all the time in some parents who are putting the pressure on their kids. You see it in sometimes coaches, you see it in them wanting to impress college coaches. You see it in them wanting to impress friends, you know, whether it's, I mean, whether it's to look good or to compete well, I just would love to bring back and instill in these young athletes that they want it, they need to enjoy the pressure to compete for themselves. Right. Um, and for me, that's one thing that I, I feel really strongly about in this, in this current world of youth athletics, just trying to eliminate those external pressures to impress. So, and I mean, I'm probably going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't know the answer to that, Kyle. But obviously, I think, you know, part of this, <laughs> I think, um, you know, your passion for the game or like, you know, anybody's passion for any game and then they can stay in the game and continue to coach, you know, play for a long time, whatever it may be, uh, is that, you know, sports are supposed to be fun. And so, you know, there are these, ex, you know, part of it is that you've got elite players that are, they are looking to play in college. And then you have, you know, kids that are just there, they want to, their, their parents want them to move and they just want, and they're probably there for the friendships. But how do we, how do we make it fun, but also, you know, appropriately competitive for whatever level they're on? Well, I think at the I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I think that we just have to keep talking. That's why I love what you guys are doing with the podcast. And we have to keep talking about the issue, um, number one. And number two, I think that even with our, even with our athletes, I remember on the national team, you know, there would be times where people would feel exhausted or, the day-to-day -day grind of just practicing and doing the same thing. I mean, I remember our, our coach bringing us in and saying, guys, this is about having fun. At the end of the day, this is sport. Mm -hmm. And if you're not having fun, that's a problem. And he would talk to us even at that level yep. about this is just supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, how can you be your best version of yourself? Right. You know, and so I think the communication piece at every level is this the start of it. Um, I also think that, you know, we talk about a lot of the pressure coming from external factors and it can't, the, the communication can't just be with the athlete. It has to be with those external factors um, 
the college coaches who are, are putting pressure to on players to commit or to recruit, you know, recruiting them early or, you know, just what's, what's happening with that piece for our elite players who want to play in college and having those conversations. And then obviously with the parents, you know, I'll have times where we'll be really diligent about being open with our parents about our expectations in the club and, and what's, you know, what we expect from them. And I've realized over time that you really have to be consistent with that because it has to be on an annual basis. Even if you think you're, you're saying the same thing to the same people, you know, it's important that we continue to have the conversation about what's healthy for these young athletes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kelly. All this is great insight. I'm, you know, I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> um, but you know, Brian and I, thank you very much for helping us continue this conversation. And hopefully, um, you know, we can have you back on at some point to talk about something else, because I think you've got a wealth of knowledge, you know, not only just in sport, but particularly as as a female in, in your journey. And, and, you know, that's certainly, like you said, the conversation is what helps people, but uh, we'll hop off. I'll catch up with you quickly. And then uh, this will probably come out sometime next week, but I'm going to stop pausing and just chat with you real quick. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you.